Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast. It's our hope that the next few moments lead you closer to Jesus, encourage you to grow, and equip you to exist for those not yet here. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that we can bring you fresh content every week as you continue in your walk with Christ. Montgomeryville and Plymouth Meeting and Royersford and, and Limerick and if you're watching online uh, and you didn't you're just watching because because you just overslept or you just didn't come because you lost an hour of sleep you're lame and so and you're you're missing it and so but if you're at home with a sick child or um, you know maybe you're working and catching up later on during the week we're glad that you're with us at all of our campuses we get to end our sermon series today I hate my marriage if you haven't been here for the past four weeks. I told you a few weeks ago, I said, listen, uh, a lot of people are married uh, in, in our world, right, obviously, and 60% of them right now, if you ask them, are you happy, they'll say no. And so, and so some of you will say, I'm never getting married. It's just simply not true, right? People that get divorced, they have a high likelihood of getting remarried if they can convince somebody to remarry them again. And, and the people that get divorced again, they get married again. We all want to be married. And so if you are going to be married, I think you should have a good one. And so what we did is uh, we started a few weeks ago. By the way, next week we're going to do something we haven't done for a long time. And so usually I say, here's what we're going to talk about at church, you know, the following week. And so I've been telling you we're going to talk about unforgiveness today. Next week, we're going to do a Q&A. And so we've allowed you to ask questions. We got some, some really good questions. We got some wild questions in the, in the bank for next week. And so if you are interested in asking a question, marriage question, dating question, you know, something like that, you can text in right now, marriage, and your question to 25827. And I can't promise you we're going to be able to, to address every question that is asked uh, but we'll do our best even following the next week, maybe address them with short videos online or something like that. But we want to hear your questions. We want to we have a good time next week, do something we haven't done for a while. Uh, but we started four weeks ago. I said, listen, we're going to base our entire sermon series in the book of Song of Songs, or some of you, your Bible version says Song of Solomon. And all it is, it's called a book of wisdom. It's a book about love. It's a book about dating and relationships and sex. Uh, and the cool thing about the book of Sol- Song of Solomon, we ended last week uh, on their honeymoon night, and we saw this beautiful moment. I talked about the, the, the little fox of being unavailable if you were here, and I said, listen, if you're a married person, sex is a good thing. Uh, the truth is a lot of us don't have a hard time knowing you know, what to do. We have a hard time knowing how to do it, and because spouses oftentimes, guys and girls, want different things for, for sex. I told you, listen, for a woman, sex starts long before the bedroom. Right? Am I right, ladies? Was that good preaching? And so I, I gave you some, some points. I said, listen, some people call it foreplay. I said, some people call it chore play. And so, uh, so we talked about that and we kind of preached through the passage. We ended, you remember in chapter four with, with, with her saying, awake north wind, you know, blow on my garden. I said, I'm not going to get really detailed about what she means there, but it's good. In the Bible, it's in the Bible and we can say amen about it. And so if you want to Google it later, you know, do it in a safe environment, Google it with your wife, check out what it means. But they were having a good time together. It doesn't leave you there though. You know, there's some movies you watch, it's like after that scene, curtain comes down, you know, you're kind of left up with the impression that everything is good from that point forward, but that's not necessarily the case. You get married, stuff happens. And so today I want to talk to you about what I would call the little fox of unforgiveness, the little fox of, of unforgiveness. And here's the thing, whether you're a married person or not, I guarantee you've dealt with this and right now struggle with this. We, we all struggle with it. In fact, I, I, I Googled this week, because that's what I often do when I'm preparing my message. I, I, 
I search things out online. And so, uh, in fact, one time I went to a Bible class at Valley Forge, and they asked me, they said, what do you use to study your sermons? And I said, Google. And they said, what's Google? I said, Google. I use Google. And so I never got invited back. And so, um, but I searched Google, and I just typed in the bar, how to forgive someone who hurt you. Guess how many, guess how, 54 million results. How do you forgive someone that hurts you? You get married, this person hurts you. You have a family member that hurts you, a mom, a dad, a brother, a sister, a boss, a teacher. Specifically, we're going to talk about a spouse today, but you can apply this all over your life. How do you forgive someone? And let me just kind of, kind of break it down how it happens in marriage. You get married, what, what, what happens? How do you end up having so much bitterness and resentment towards this person. I think a few ways. I think first one is unmet expectations. Things like, you know, when you say, you didn't do what I thought you were going to do. You didn't react the way I thought you would react. You don't act the way that I want you to act. Unex- unmet expectations oftentimes lead to unexpected obstacles. You ever, you ever been married and your, your, your wife or your, mainly, most of the time your husband gets a, gets a ticket for like $500 for speeding? And you're like, yeah, I didn't see the stop sign. I had the little white thing around. I thought it was optional. And so I didn't stop. Or may, maybe, just be real honest, maybe you have a, a spouse and they, you know, they, he or she had, a, had a, this amazing idea to invest in this company with, with, with your hard-earned money and it lost a bunch of money and now you have unexpected debt, right? Or maybe you bought a house at the wrong time and then you ended up moving. Like there's unexpected obstacles, right? In marriage, you're like, I didn't expect this to come up. And then oftentimes in my marriage, I've noticed that unforgiveness comes with unwanted comments, Things you say back and forth. You ever notice that you can hurt your spouse in the worst way? Like you know things to say to them that you know, when I say this, I need to run. You know what I'm talking about? Like I shouldn't say this, but I have to say it right now. Unwanted, unwanted comments, right? And then r- really, some of us have experienced what I would call unbelievable mistakes. This is the, the affairs. You know, I, I read a stat this week as I was studying in Google, and I said, how many, you know, how many people go through affairs? And it said... 30, but most people say more than that, 30 to 60% of marriages in their lifetime will have to work through the issue of one partner having an affair. Whether it's physical, emotional, they're the same thing. Like we, we have to work. Like there's, there's, there's opportunities to, to face unforgiveness. And here's the important thing you need to understand. Where the spirit of forgiveness ends in your marriage, the spirit of death begins. Where, where the spirit of... Un, if you don't have forgiveness in your marriage... The spirit of death begins. Some of you are going, you don't understand the obstacles that I'm facing in my marriage. You don't understand the wall that I'm on. You don't understand what I've been through. Listen, every obstacle is also an opportunity. You, you know that? Every obstacle is also an opportunity. Years ago, years ago in 2010, we were at one campus in a little Mennonite church in Limerick. We had three services, and we were about at the brink of what we could hold in three services, and we didn't know what to do, and it was an extreme obstacle in our life because we said as a church, we exist for those not yet here, but if you don't have room for those not yet here, you got to come up with a different slogan, and I couldn't figure out another one. So I needed to figure out the problem of how we could fit more people in our church. An obstacle we wanted to build, obstacle we wanted to build. And we had this obstacle, but it was actually an opportunity because it's what led us to where we are right now. If that wouldn't have happened, we wouldn't have started a second campus in Phoenixville. We wouldn't have moved our whole church to Phoenixville for a year. Wouldn't have relaunched Limerick as a, as, a, as a satellite campus. Wouldn't have got a building given to us in Plymouth Meeting. Wouldn't have rented out a ladies' gym in Royersford. Wouldn't have went back to Montgomeryville and rented out that. Wherever we're going next, it actually was an opportunity. And I want to tell you, some of you have the opportunity today for freedom if you understand forgiveness. 
You have the opportunity to walk in freedom in your life. You see, because if you don't figure out forgiveness, ultimately your marriage is going to fail. Ruth Graham, she was married to Billy Graham. Some of you might know him, some of you don't. Uh, but if there was ever somebody who you would think would say, what does it take to have a good marriage? You've got to marry a guy like Billy Graham. I mean, it's like Jesus, Paul, Billy Graham. <laughs> like Billy Graham is one of, the, one of the only lifelong evangelists traveled the world that you, if you search his name, there's not an affair attached to his name. I mean, you don't think women, he, he was as famous as any person that has ever walked planet Earth, ever. You don't think he had the opportunity to cheat on his wife in the 60, 70, 80 years that he traveled the world? Now, you would think Ruth Graham would say, what do you got to do to have a great marriage? You got to marry a guy like Billy Graham. You got to find a perfect guy. You ever see Billy Graham? I watched Billy Graham in his later years in Oklahoma City. I remember him walking up to the, to the, to the stage to preach, put his hands, his old hands on the pulpit. His slick white hair was go back. I was like, that's the OG right there. I mean, he was, he was, he was a stud muff. And like, he just talked and like, I wanted to get, as soon as he started talking, if you ever watched one of his, 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 his services, you should watch one sometime. They play the same song the entire time. It's come as you are. I was like, just play the music. I'll come get saved right now. <laughs> and you would think like it would be like, just marry Billy Graham. You know what she said? How, how, how do you have a good marriage? She said, a happy marriage is the union of two good forgivers. A happy marriage exists in the union of two good forgivers. So I think this is cool. We're going to go back to the Song of, Song, Song of, Song, Song of Solomon, chapter 5. Chapter 4 ends. She's telling him to awake and, and, and do stuff, and he's, he's describing her body. Go back and read it on your own time. I'll have time to do that. Listen to the message from last week. They're having a good, good time. God is applauding them, going, this is amazing. Like, this is what I created sex and marriage for. He's excited. And chapter 5, something changes. We don't know how much time's going on, but it's marriage. Like, they're married. The wedding's over. Nobody cares about the picture. Special hashtag is over, right? Like, you ate, you ate the cake. It's, it was gross. It was frozen for a year. Like, you know, and all that stuff happened, and they're just married at this point. And stuff tends to change, right? And the Bible says in chapter number five, verse number two, she says, I slept, but my heart is awake. In other words, she was in bed trying to sleep, but she was mad about something. You ever been there with your wife? What? No. <laughs> she's, she's, she's sleeping, but something is bothering her on the inside. You know you're in trouble, right? The Bible says this. It says, listen, my beloved is knocking. So chapter four, her beloved's in the room with her. This time she's in the room, it's locked, and her beloved is knocking. Yo, girl, let's do that garden thing again. Let's see what he, I mean, that's the Bible, right? Let, let's, let's do that again. And she says, he says this. He says, open to me. And he goes, just like he went in chapter 4. My sister, my darling, my dove, my flawless one. You can just hear him. He's laying it on thick, right? She says this. My head is drenched with dew, my hair with the dampness of, of the night, a.k.a. I have a headache. Don't touch me. That's what she's saying. Don't touch me. She goes into some more excuses. I've taken off my robe. Must I put it on again? I've washed my feet. I don't want to get up and soil them again. Other words, what's happening? Unmet expectations in this moment on both sides. 
Unmet expectations. What's she expect? You're supposed to be home at 5.30. It is 9 o'clock at night. I don't care that you got stuck in a meeting. And I don't care that you're bringing home the bacon for our house. And I don't care how hard you're working. You were supposed to be home at 5.30. You didn't text. You didn't send a camelogram. You didn't do nothing to let me know you were going to be late. And I'm mad now. And I've, put, I've taken off my robe and I'm already in bed. And I'm not putting on my robe to come to the door. And he's going, just come to the door. I don't care if you put your robe back on. In fact, leave your robe off, right? And so she's saying, I'm not putting my robe on. And I don't want to get my feet dirty. You have all these unmet expectations. Wait, wait a second. Chapter four at our wedding night, these words worked. Chapter five, I'm throwing my game, my egg game, my flawless one, my sister, my homie, right? It's not working. What happened? What happens? Let's keep going. The Bible says, my beloved thrust his hand through the opening, uh, latch opening. My heart began to pound for him. So he... I don't, I don't even know what that looks like. It's kind of creepy, right? <laughs> Put his hand through there. But she likes it, she says. I arose to open for my beloved. And my hands dripped with myrrh. My fingers with, were flowing myrrh on the handles of the boat. I opened for my beloved, but by my beloved had left. Obstacles in the way now. I studied that this week. I'm like, what, is, what happened? Like, what's going on here? What's the, what's the prophetic or you know, poetic description of this? And it's really simple. She just changed her mind. Some things never change, guys. But she just changed your mind. And then watch what happens if you keep reading. The Bible says she gets up, but he was gone. My heart sank, she says. I looked for him, but did not find him. I called him, but he did not answer. And then it gets kind of strange. It says that the watchman, she leaves to go look for him, and the watchmen find her, the the, the guys that that guard the city from, from intruders, from evil people. They don't know this is the queen. It's dark. And the Bible says the watchmen find her as she rounds in the city. They beat me, they bruised me, they took away my cloak, those watchmen on the wall, she says. And she, she gets beat, she, like, it gets so bad, she goes out to find him, he's gone, he's so mad at her in this moment, he just doesn't even want to talk to her, and she goes to get him, and all of a sudden, this, this moment in their marriage turns into kind of a disaster. And we all have these moments, you have these moments where you, 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 don't, you don't communicate well, you say stuff to each other you don't want to say, you hurt each other's feelings maybe on purpose, Change your mind, you want to make up, but you don't know how to make up. And you're in these situations where unforgiveness can take over. And here's the thing about it. Where where forgiveness stops, the spirit of death begins to reign. If you don't figure out this situation right here, death begins to reign in your relationship. So I want to show you two options. I only have two. Isn't that good if you go to church here? Just two. I think they're so practical. I think the first thing you can do in these moments, whatever it may be in your life, Whatever, whatever relationship may be. First one is you, you, can, you can hold the hurt. You, you, you can hold the hurt if you want. That, that's your option. You can hold the hurt at your parents. You can hold the hurt at your spouse. They looked at you. They said something to you. They cheated on you. They were doing this. Like you, you're allowed to go, you know what, for the rest of my life, I'm just going to hold this. I'm going to let this define this relationship. I'm going to let it affect me. I'm going to be mad at my mom for what she said, my dad for not being there, that boss who talked bad about me, that person who hurt my life. I'm going to hold on to the hurt. We call this offense, by the way. Somebody threatens you, and you take it and hold on to it. And the word offense, actually, if you study it in the Greek, actually means a trap. It's a trap. I don't know if you're an old-school cartoon fan. Remember Bugs Bunny, Elmer Fudd? Elmer Fudd would put that little box and put the little stick and then tie the little carrot on the string. Remember that? 
And the point of the, of the, of the, of the, the trap, which Bob Bugs Bunny never got caught, by the way, but the point of the trap is you take the carrot, and when you take the carrot, the string is pulled, and the stick comes out, and the box falls on top of you. And essentially, biblically, this is what offense is. The trap is set for you to be unforgiving, for you to be mad, for you to get your feathers rustled. You walk into the box, you pull on the carrot, which is the offense, and you hold on to it. And you're like, I got it. I got it. Look what I got. I got it. And God goes, no, look at you. You're in the box, dummy. Like You're, you're stuck in that box. I can't get out because you're in the box and you grab the hold of the carrot. And for the rest of your life, in these situations, you can hold on to the hurt if you want. But I got to give you a couple, a couple truths in that because some of you are like, I'm going to. Thank you. And I got to tell you just two things that are really significant that I've realized about hurt in my own life because we all face it. One, one, one is this, is you need to understand the longer that you hold it, ultimately the heavier that it gets in your life. The longer that you hold it, so I have, I have kids at home and there's two ways to parent your kids. You can parent them through raising your voice and, uh, and intimidating them and be like, ah, and it works. And I've been taught by my wife, that's the wrong way to parent, but it feels good when you parent like that. You know what I'm saying? And the other way you parent is calm teaching. There's a point to it. So a few weeks ago, my, my kids were playing some kind of PlayStation game together, come running up the steps from the basement, and they are about to fight. Like, they are arguing about this, and you did my season, and you stole my player, and all these things. I want to tell them it's made up. Why are you guys mad? And they're just mad at each other, and they're fighting. And I was like, no! And I was like, this is wrong. It's like, we got we to do something. Let's, let me teach you in this moment. I was like, listen to me. This is what we're going to do. You're not going to play that video game ever again, ever again. So help me God. Until you stop arguing and you look at each other and you ask for forgiveness and you receive forgiveness and you hug it out. And when you do those three steps, you can go downstairs and play, play PlayStation again. And they were like, I'm done with that. I'll get an Xbox. <laughs> I like, Listen, I'm a pastor. And I need you to do this for me. And they still wouldn't, right? They, was just like, they were just stubborn as can be. So I saw this, 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 this pastor preach on this one time. And... Uh, he used this illustration with this water bottle, and it like hit me. I'm like, this is a teachable moment. So I ran out to our refrigerator in our, in our garage, and I got two bottles of water. It looked like this kind of, and I said, hold these water bottles. And they're like, what? I was like, hold it. I was like, grab it. So it was full. I've been drinking this, so uh, deal with this. But, uh, <laughs> and so I, I had the water, water bottle like this, and I said, just hold it out in front of me. And they're like, okay, whatever. <laughs> and I was like, listen, you, you can put the water bottle down. When you look at each other, ask for forgiveness, receive grace and forgiveness, and hug it out. Until then, you're going to stand in this, this kitchen right here, and I'm going to go down and play your PlayStation. And I'm going to lose every game in your season. And they still refused. They were like, whatever. Because then this became a competition. They're, they're holding it. Three minutes go. What, what starts happening when you hold this water bottle for a long period of time? It starts to get heavy. Four or five minutes starts happening. I'm like, you can put it down. You can let it go. When you ask for forgiveness, when you ask, when you apologize, ask for forgiveness, receive grace, hug it out. I mean, what? I'm moving on. I'm cleaning dishes. I'm like, just, just do it. <laughs> and finally, they, they, they let it go. They asked for forgiveness. They received forgiveness. They hugged it out. They moved on. And I thought, I tried to tell them, the longer you hold that, the heavier that it gets. Some of you worry, wonder why your life is so weighty all the time and so filled with anxiety, even physically. 
Like, it, 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 if you read scripture, it talks about your heart being unforgiving and actually physically hurting your life. Some of you worried about getting this disease they're talking about and this flu and all this stuff. You already have a disease. You have a disease that you can't escape. It is destroying your life. I, I mean, I can be honest with you. You're constantly full of anxiety and anger and all these other things, and you're holding on to it. And I'm saying, you got a choice. You're like, I'm just going to keep holding on to it. The longer you hold it, the heavier it gets. And you need to understand, number two, it's really important. The longer that you hold it, the more damage that it does. The longer that you hold it, the more damage. Because what happens? You start getting cramps. You hold it long enough, you're going to pass out. Like it, the, you can hold it if you want. The longer you hold it, the more damage that it does. Did you see this in the, in the story? Because it's kind of bizarre. Uh, she doesn't get up right away. He puts his hand through the latch, wiggles his hand. She, she gets up. He leaves, and then she goes after him, and she, the Bible says she actually gets beat up by these watchmen. Like, I, I think it's act, she's actually saying, like, this, it got much worse than it needed to be. Like, if she would have just got up and said, hey, we got to talk about something. You know, I want you to be home at 530. It doesn't make me feel value when you do that. And Solomon would have said, girl, you're my sister. You're my bride. I value you. I am so sorry. And he would have hurt her. They would have been all back in chapter 4. But that's not what happens. He knocks. She doesn't come. He throws the lines out there. She still doesn't talk to him. She then comes. He leaves. And then she ends up getting beat up. And the longer that you hold on to your bitterness and your resentment, the worse that, that it gets, the more damage that it does. You ever have a small hole on your windshield? And be like, that's fine. I'll call safe life, something like that, in my time. A few years ago, I had a little tiny rock hole in my windshield, and I was like, I don't need to fix that. It's fine. Summer went. Winter went. It was fine. And then as we got back to summer, at some point, it got a little bit bigger of a crack on it, and I was like, yeah, I still pass inspection. It's fine. <laughs> and then one day, I remember winter came, and I, was, I went out to my car, and what happened? <laughs> and I remember I had to call. I had to call AAA, which I didn't have at that moment. <laughs> and I was like, I got to get this fixed. How much did it cost? They were like, it's three or 400 bucks. And I was like, how much would have it cost for me to do like the little, the little glue in the thing? They would have been like, they were like 25 bucks. <laughs> the longer that you hold on to it, it always costs you, by the way. But the longer you hold on to it, the more damage that it, that it does. A few months ago, I have a whiteboard in my office and I wrote this down to myself. I write notes to myself sometimes. And I don't know when I'm going to use them for sermons or talks or something like that, but I'll write them in a season that I'm in because I want to remember that. And I wrote down in a season when I needed to forgive and move forward that delayed forgiveness equals deepened resentment. The, delayed, delayed, the longer you wait to forgive, the deeper the resentment goes. The Bible calls it bitterness. The word for bitterness in the Bible is actually defined as poison. Poison. In fact, it says in Hebrews 12, it says, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one sees the Lord. I love this part, though. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Bitterness is telling us is a poison that hurts us, hurts those closest to us, and even hurts our relationship with God. You can hold it. You're drinking poison. Bitterness, by the way, is like you grabbing onto a piece of glass and expecting it to hurt somebody else. Does it hurt? Yeah, you. And here's the truth. You hold on to whatever you're holding on to. And you got to understand, eventually, it holds you. Anybody have a baby in here that's now a grown kid? 
Remember that little sweet baby? You would hold them, and they would be under your control, and you'd pick them up, and it, you know you wouldn't you'd get a hernia picking them up, and you'd pick them up, and like they were just sweet. And now my boys are turning 12, 13 years old. If I try to go pick them up and put them on my lap, who's holding who? <laughs> like you think, I'm holding it. No, 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 no. No, it's holding you. It's hurting your relationship. There's a verse in the Bible that says, as you forgive, that's how God forgives you. That's how real it is. Your, your unwillingness to let it go is actually hurting your life. So let me just give you the other option. Can I give you the other options? Real simple. You can either hold it or you're going to be surprised by this because it's pretty, pretty deep, or you can hand it over. You can either hold it or, or you, you can let it go. You see, holding a grudge doesn't make you strong. It makes you bitter. It doesn't make you strong to go, I'm never, man, some of you are Italian in here. You grew up. I, my, I had an Italian grandma. We don't forget. She was 95 years old. She could tell me people she was still mad at from her 20s. Their hair color, their dress color, their teeth, their eye, all that stuff. We're Italian. We don't forgive. We hold on to grudges. Listen, holding a grudge doesn't make you strong. It makes you bitter. Forgiveness doesn't make you weak. It sets you free. It sets you free. It's easy to be bitter. It's easy to hold on to it. It's easy not to let it go. It's easy to hate people. It's easy to look at your spouse and say, I'm never going to forgive you. It takes strength to look at them and say, you know what? You've hurt me deeply, but I'm going to let this go. You've hurt me deeply as a parent, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to let this go. So I started studying this passage. I'm like, well, you know, kind of what happens? And there's one weird part of the, of the passage that I want to go back to in Song of Songs 5. When she says, I arose, right? He was putting his hand through the latch. And she says, I arose for my beloved, and my hands dripped with myrrh. My fingers were flowing myrrh on the handles of the bolt. I was like, what does that mean? Like, was she, like, dabbing myrrh on herself, and she came up, and she got it all over the handle? What does that mean? It's actually different, because myrrh was his scent. If you read through the Song of Songs, oftentimes she'll describe him. Like like this, it'll say, like, my love is a sachet of myrrh to me, spending the night between my breasts. In other words, she wants to sleep with his jacket because his jacket smells like him. That's what she's saying. Like the myrrh that I smell. There's another thing that says his cheeks are like beds of spice, towers of perfume. His lips are lilies dripping with what? Flowing myrrh. It's this myrrh thing. Like it, there's another part that says his hands drip with myrrh. His lips are lilies dripping with flowing myrrh. Like she keeps saying this myrrh thing. In other words, his myrrh is like your Calvin Klein or your, 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 your Gucci or whatever you wear, right? Your, your scent that your wife knows you by. And I started studying because nothing is in the Bible by accident. Nothing. Nothing. I'm like, what's up with this dude's myrrh? And I started studying. It was very interesting. Myrrh in, in the Old Testament, in Arabic, I think it was, uh, the word actually means uh, bitter. Bitter. Isn't that weird? You didn't use myrrh to make like a shake or anything like that. It didn't taste good. So he leaves this, 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 this bitter on the door. But it's also his smell. So she doesn't know it as, bitter, as bitterness. She knows it as, as, as his smell. Like he's leaving it. And I don't think that he just touched it and like left it. I actually think if you study it that he was like dumping, dumping myrrh on, on it. And that there's a deeper meaning there. So I studied it even more because myrrh makes an appearance some years later in the New Testament. You read the story of Jesus uh, where the, the wise men, they bring three gifts to, to, the, to, the, to the toddler. Right? He probably wasn't a baby. Sorry to ruin the nativity story for you. He was probably about two years old. But they bring him gifts. What do they bring him? They bring him gold. They bring him frankincense. And they bring him myrrh. 
wasn't, these gifts represented something. So you could talk about gold, king, king, and frankincense. I don't know what that means, but you oily people are like, I love it, right? <laughs> but myrrh in the New Testament was used to bury the dead. You can read about it. Like when Jesus dies on the cross, they take him down. A rich guy takes him down and wraps him in cloth and anoints his body with myrrh. It was putting something to death. That's what it was. Putting something to rest. So do you see the picture of it? He's saying, listen, girl, I've been fighting with you. I've been trying to get in the door. I even did the little hand thing. You haven't let me in. But I want you to know I'm going to put some of this myrrh on the boat so when you open it up, you know that I don't want to be fighting with you. I want to put this to rest. I want to put this fight to death. And some of you are at odds with the person that you're married to, and you are refusing to kill whatever is alive that shouldn't be alive, that bitterness, that resentment. And this moment in their marriage is everything. It's as important as their honeymoon night. This tells me everything I need to know about their future. And I'm not happy with the situation, and I don't like where we're at right now, but I want you to know that when you're ready, I want to move forward. I want to put this thing to rest. So here's what you need to know. Forgiveness is not forgetting. In fact, I studied this week, and women have a larger hippocampi. I don't know if that's how you say it, but that's their memory bank. So when you ask somebody to forgive and forget, a woman don't forget anything. In fact, the article I read said that a woman has like a 70-inch HDK TV memory, right? And a man has one of those old tube TVs with three channels on it. You have to hand turn, right? Sex, food, ESPN. Sex, food, ESPN. That's our memory. So they're different. I think sometimes people say, I'm not going to forgive. I can't forget, obviously. Forgiveness is different than trust, by the way. Some of you, you have a situation in your life right now, in your marriage, that you need to forgive, but it doesn't mean that you yet need to trust. Trust is built over time. It's not, it's not turning a blind eye and just saying it never happened. It's saying, I want to put to death bitterness and offense in this situation, and I want to move forward. You know what else forgiveness is not? Forgiveness is not fair. Some like, I don't want to forgive because, because it's just not fair. I mean, they're wrong, clearly. And I think you need to understand that we like the fair thing except when it comes to God. Because if he was fair, the Bible says that he should count his sins against you. That you don't deserve heaven. That you don't deserve grace. Listen, can, can you, you shouldn't even be in this room right now. You are not impressive. I am not impressive. He's not going, man, you lost an hour of sleep and you still came to church. Gold star. That me and you are lucky to be in church in the presence of the living God right now. And he is completely unfair to us when it comes to his forgiveness. So it is not forgetting and it is not fair. So I tried to wrap my head around a definition to get you to understand what forgiveness is. And here's what I came up with. Forgiveness is giving to others. We're talking about your spouse, but anybody else, what God gave us in Christ. In other words, the reason so many of you have a hard time with forgiveness is you have not been stunned by your own forgiveness that you've received from Jesus Christ. It should stun you. I want to end with this one story. Matthew 18. Peter comes and says, how many times am I supposed to forgive? How many times should I forgive my spouse? They just keep messing up. How many times should I forgive my mom and my dad and my coworker? How many times should I do this? How many times do I have to do this? You ever been there with God? I'll do it. But give me a number. Two? Three? How many times? 
Jesus gives him a number. He says 70 times 7, which is 490, which Peter's going, that's a lot, God. Is that it? And he's going, no, you just keep forgiving, man. You just keep forgiving. Then he tells him this story. He said, there's this guy uh, who is indebted to a boss. He owes 10,000 denarii. If you read your Bible, it might say 10,000 gold pieces. But in my Bible that I read this week, it said he owes 10,000 denarii. And the boss comes to him and says, hey, your debt needs to be paid today. If you don't pay it today, I'm putting you, your wife, your kids, your dog, your cat, your goat. I'm putting everybody in jail. I'm taking everything. And the guy begs him, please, please cancel out my debt. And some are going, what's the big deal? It's 10,000 denarii. What does that mean? Well, denarii is equal to one day's wage. He owes 10,000 denarii or 240,000 years of work. It was a ton, a ton, a ton, a ton of work. I, I did some studying uh, this week, and, and it said, I said, well, what's like 10,000 denarii like equal to, to our day and age? It was about $6 billion to this guy. It was a lot of money. In other words, he's in trouble, guys, right? Like he, he has to pay this guy back something he's never going to be able to pay back. And he begs and pleads with the guy, God, please cancel. And the guy goes, I'm going to cancel out your entire debt. Doesn't that sound like a great thing, man? Cancel my visa, you know, my MasterCard. My car, just cancel it all out. And he cancels it out. He does, he does, does the dance. He's super excited. He leaves and he comes in contact with somebody as a forgiven person, as the one who's had their debt released. And he comes in contact with somebody who owes him a hundred denarii. He's just been forgiven 10,000. He now is owed a hundred. What do you think he'll do in this moment? She'll be like Oprah. You get grace. And you get grace. You all get grace. Everyone gets grace. Everyone I come into contact with for the rest of my life, I'm giving grace because I've been forgiven a debt that I can never pay back. What does he do? The Bible says the man looks at the guy and goes, no, you got to pay me back now. The guy says, listen, man, I only owe you 100 days of work. Give me three months. I'll pay it off. He says, no, you're going to jail. Your kids, your wife, you're going to jail until you pay me back. Isn't it amazing? And then he leaves and the, his, his boss hears about it. What do you think he does? mad he's like you've just been given a billion dollar forgiveness and you won't give three months of grace and the point is the guy who was owed that's God the person that owes the unpayable debt that's you and me and the people that you won't forgive that's the person that you're sitting beside right now married to or parented by it's ridiculous if you think about it you're given unendless grace you're going to hold on to to bitterness. See, some of you just need to step into the moment where you are amazed at the grace of God. And here's what's so neat. I want to I want to read you the last part of, of, of Song of Songs. Because I think it's so interesting. A Song of Songs 6. They've worked their way through this. And he says this: He says, I went down to the grove of nut trees to look at the new growth in the valley to see if the vines had budded or the pomegranates were in bloom. Before I realized it, my desire set me among the royal chariots of the people. He goes back to what? To the vineyard. What does he say in chapter 2? We got this vineyard growing. Let's protect it from the little foxes. Let's watch out for unavailability and unrealistic expectations and all these other ways. Let's watch out for being unforgiving to each other. And now they've forgiven each other. And what does he say? We're moving into even newer, newer seasons of growth. It's even better. Our marriage is even better because we've worked through bitterness and unfor unforgiveness. What did Ruth Graham say? What do you need to have a good marriage? Two good what? Two good forgivers. Two good forgivers. Would you do me a favor? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? 
And I want you to picture this as we, as we pray. Uh, but there's another thing I studied this week as I was studying uh, my message. And uh, there was a statement that we've often heard. I- I've heard it before. Maybe you haven't. But it goes something like this. Extend that person the olive branch. Give them the olive branch. And it's, we, we know it's a symbol of, of peace, right? But I studied, like, what does that mean? So in the olden days, uh, war caused olive trees to be neglected because they needed a lot of attention. And when you go to war, you don't have time to attend to them because your, your focus is on your enemy. And so oftentimes in old times in battle, when you wanted to stop fighting with your enemy, you would go to that neglected olive tree and you would send it to him or her and the message was, I don't want to fight anymore. I want to extend the olive tree. So I started studying that principle practically. I went to the New Testament because there's always something to dig up. And I started thinking about what Jesus did for me on the cross. And I started thinking about his last day on the earth and where he spent his last moments. The Bible says he spent them in the Garden of Gethsemane. And then I started wondering to myself, I wonder what kind of trees are in the Garden of Gethsemane. So I Googled and searched it. And the trees that are in the Garden of Gethsemane are olive trees. A lot of people think he died on an olive, an olive wood cross. There's this message where, where God is saying, I'm extending to you grace and forgiveness. You, you need it. You can hold on to bitterness and resentment, or you can let it go. I'll take it from you, but you got to let it go. And you got this message of a God that is seeking, that is, that is reaching, that, that, that is knocking at the door of people's hearts, that wants to forgive, that wants to give grace, that wants to give mercy, that wants to set you free. And here's what I need you to understand. I talked about a concept today that some of you are like, I could never do. And here's why you could never do it. Because in order to be a forgiving person, you need to have a relationship with the forgiving one. And the forgiving one is Jesus Christ. He loves you more than you can imagine. He's here for you. I love that last song that we sang. What a friend I found in Jesus. He's not counting my sins against me. He has never left me. In fact, the principle of scripture is that he has pursued me. And I got to be honest, I could not wait. I could not wait to preach this message today. Because since the moment that I started to plan out this message, when God kind of laid out the outline, I was like, that's the week that people are going to come. God's going to really do something. And he already has first service. And then I saw that we lose an hour of sleep on this day. And I was like, okay, God, you're really going to have to show up today. And he did exactly what I thought he was going to do. You see, I, I think that he brought people here today. This is your first day, second day, I'm not sure. And the whole time that I've been talking, you've been thinking to yourself, this is the exact message I need to hear. This is my problem. I'm so angry. I'm so bitter. I'm so resentful. It's poisoned my entire life. It's actually hurting me physically, mentally, and spiritually. And I can't believe on all days that I decided to come back to church that you preached on it. Here's what I know. That God knew you were going to be here. He knew what campus you would attend. He knew what service you would come to. He knew what seat that you were going to sit in. He knows exactly what you're going through. And he loves you more than you can imagine. Can can I tell you something today? You need to maybe hear. You're not an accident. The Bible says that God formed you in your mother's womb. That he has a good purpose and a plan for your life. That you might feel like a victim. You might feel in prison. You might feel like a mistake. But none of those things are true when you find your identity in Christ. That he has a good purpose and plan for your life. 
And he wants to use you. That if you put your hand on your chest and you feel your heart still beating, that's called purpose. That God can still do something in your life. Here's what else I know. Some of you, your marriage has been crumbling and falling apart. And this is the first day that you've ever been here. Or maybe you've kind of worked your way through these five weeks. And you're going, man, what can God do with my marriage now? We've tried counseling. We've tried self-help books. We've tried everything. Listen. Here's why I love church. Here's why I don't want you to skip church and stay home. Because the Bible says where two or more are gathered in his name, that his presence shows up. And when his presence shows up, power shows up. And when power shows up of God, the miraculous can happen. And more can happen in this moment than all that has happened up to this point. Addictions can be broken. Marriages can be healed. The Bible says that spiritual eyes can receive sight. Your mind can be transformed. That can happen in the presence of the living God. And he has done everything to get you to this point. He loves you. He prayed for you in the garden. He died for you on that cross. He rose in power on the third day. The Bible says he ascended to heaven and he sits at the right hand of God. And he intercedes for you by name to come home today. He is in the place of authority in your life if you would give him that authority. But here's how you do it. You let go of being in charge. You let go of your anger, your resentment, your unforgiveness. And you give your life to Jesus Christ. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So here's what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to pray. And I believe that there's many people in here today that this is what you needed. I believe wholeheartedly in it. It is my greatest privilege and honor to stand before people and share the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, the hope, the hope of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to pray as we close. And maybe you've never prayed before in your life. Uh, the Bible says that Jesus is like a friend that sticks closer to than a brother. So, so to me, uh, you don't have to have a long religious prayer, this, this known thing, this memorized thing. You just say, Jesus, I want a relationship with you. And I think when you yield yourself to Jesus, you humble yourself to Jesus, you give him your pain, your unforgiveness, your resentment, that he can do something with your life. You make that choice, and then he begins to change you. He begins to change you. And so we're going to do one thing as we close, that all of our campuses are somebody just like me standing in the front, You've heard the message. You know the Lord is speaking to you. You can't even explain it. The Bible says it's like a knocking at the door of your, your chest. When I received Christ, it was like a burning in my. I can't even explain it. I just knew he was real, and I needed a relationship with him. And in that moment, I called on the name of the Lord, and I have never been the same. I'm not perfect. I'm saved. I'm not perfect. I'm saved. My life does not always work out the way that I want to, it to work out. But I know that my life is in the hands of the one who molded me, made me, created me, will guide me each step of the way. Will never leave me, never forsake me. He reached down. You choose him. You choose him. You receive him today. So I'm going to ask you in a second if that's you. Nobody's looking around. I always tell people as their eyes are closed, don't worry about the person beside you. They got just as many problems as you do. This is not a place of judgment. This is a place of freedom. This is church. This is supposed to be a place of freedom and hope and forgiveness. We are not pessimists. We are Holy Spirit optimists. I believe God wants to do something incredible in your life right now. But you need to receive it like a gift. And so I'm going to ask you in a second if you need to make Jesus the Lord of your life. We're not going to pray a long prayer. But one thing I want you to do, I'm not making you come forward, not calling you out by name. But I want to know that I'm praying with you. And when I ask you, I just want you to shoot your hand straight up in the air. And when I can see your hand, you can put it back down. And we're just going to pray all over this house. Can we do that, church? Church, would you begin to pray all over this house? People's eternities are on the line right now. There's people that were supposed to be here right now. God, give them strength and courage and boldness to step into a relationship with you right now. Come on, if that's you, all over our houses. 
You need to step into forgiveness and grace and mercy. That's you. You know that's you. But you just begin to shoot your hand straight up in the air and say, hey, pastor, that's going to be me. I see your hand right here. Is there anybody else? Say, hey, pastor, that's going to be me. Come on, church. Let's pray. Let's pray that God moves in this moment. Let's pray that he moves in this moment. Let's pray that he continues to speak to people. There's other people here at all of our campuses that would say, you know what? Hey, that's me. I missed that first one. But the spirit of God is still speaking to me. He's still drawing me. I need to say yes to Jesus right now. Is there anybody else who said, hey, pastor, that's me. Come on, there's somebody in Montgomeryville right now. There's somebody in Royersburg. Yeah, yeah. Is there anybody else say, hey, pastor, that's me. That's me. That's me. I need to make Jesus the Lord of my life right now. Let's begin to pray, church. Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for freedom. Thank you for hope. Thank you for healing. Thank you for power. Lord, we don't come to church with low expectations of you. Lord, we come here and expect you to do what only you can do. We seek your face humbly. We receive from heaven. And so, Lord, we are grateful that you moved from the moment that people got here today. You spoke through your word. You moved through the worship, Lord. And now you are changing people's lives forever. They are never going to be the same again. Who they were when they got here is no longer who they are. The Bible says they're a brand new creation in Jesus' name. Addiction is broken. Hearts are made new. Minds are healed. Lord, they're going to be a different person when they leave this place. And we are grateful, Lord, that this is not the end. This is the beginning. You have purposes and plans for their life. And as we wrap up the messages of this series, Lord, would you continue to build and structure healthy relationships? Would we fight the way we're supposed to fight? Not against each other, but for each other. Would you continue to to make us one? Lord, would you continue to remember, help us to remember that it's not the big things, it's the little things often that get in the way of us having a right relationship. And we would consistently come back to you. As married people, as single people, you are our source. You are our identity. You are our strength. You are everything that we need to do what we're called to accomplish on this side of eternity. Jesus, we love you, and we're grateful that you are with us. In your name we pray. Hey, church, one more time. Let's clap as loud as we can and say amen. Thank you for taking a few minutes out of your day to listen to our podcast. If you decided to give your life to Jesus after hearing this message or want to learn more about how you can join us in person, Visit jrny.church for more resources or to find a location near you. Have a great rest of your day.